For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thanks so much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. First of all, Randy, how are you doing this fine August morning? I'm doing great, Jeff. How about you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. And Jake, you know, you're always doing well. How are you today? I'm great. We're finally getting a little break in this heat. We're getting some rain. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, it's very nice. Well, they call these the dog days of August. I don't know. Do you know why they call this the dog days of August? I don't see what dogs have to do with anything. Do you? No, you know, I've always heard that from my mom. I remember this, though. You know, we grew up in the country, as a lot of people know, and so we would swim in the creeks, right? We yeah. would swim in cow ponds. We didn't know any better. You know, it was just <laughs> kind of what we did, you know? Yeah. And so we would go and we'd swim in the creeks as long as the creeks had water that was moving along and everything really well. You know, we would swim, but mom said, hey, when it gets to August and the creeks are down and the water's not moving, you're not swimming because those are the dog days and that's when you get sick. And we're seeing some of that around the country, you know, with this uh, brain-eating amoeba, right? Yeah. There are so many things out there. I mean, I thought COVID was enough, but you're saying brain-eating amoeba? And then there's monkeypox. I don't know what the monkeypox is all about, do you? Well, actually, I probably know more than I care to tell you about on this show, Jeff. It's because we've been doing some, some reading about it. Well, the bottom line is, are we in danger here with monkeypox that we're going to have to wear masks because of that? I don't, I don't really think it's, no. it, it's like that, though, is it? Not yet. You have to have physical contact with okay. monkeypox. I don't, I don't think there's any danger of that. All right. Well, anyway, as they say, dog days of August, I always like the etymology of these sayings, you know, can't beat it with a stick, stuff like I always love to look these things up a little bit. <laughs> but nevertheless, good to have everybody with us here on Show Me the Money. Again, it's a fine uh, Saturday morning. We hope everybody's doing well today. So obviously, we're going to be talking about the economy a little bit and the Fed's efforts to cool the economy and quell inflation. We've seen interest rate hikes. Do you think that the Fed's efforts have done anything to right this ship, move us in the right direction so far? Yeah, Jeff, I think that uh, we are moving in the right direction. I mean, we're going to see later what happens here, but we do think that the rise or the, the raising of interest rates and the fact that mortgage rates are up and we're starting to see the housing market start to crack a little bit rather than going up, up, up. The housing market is starting to come down. We're starting to see more real estate signs in yards, mm -hmm. which means that things are slowing. You know, it, it was there for a while that you couldn't stick a real estate sign in the ground quick enough to have anybody see it because the house was already sold before yeah. you could yeah. you could get it done. So we're seeing that slow down a little bit. We still have a lot of cause for concern, though, because earlier this week we saw that productivity of the American economy is down again for mm -hmm. the second quarter. And, you know, when you've got decreasing productivity, 
rising interest rates, a lot of companies are starting to have sales issues. They're right. starting to have profitability issues, and they're starting to lay off. Labor costs were up 10.9% year yeah. over year. Yeah, we've still got a lot of problems ahead. And so we feel like, you know, that while this bear market rally, we're going to call it, this this short-term rally, as we're going to call it still, is just a continuation and a theme that we've seen since January. And that is that the macro trend is still down. And since January, we've had at least four what I call bear market rallies of six to nine percent. And we think this is just another one. And we think there may be more bad news on the on the horizon. Again, we don't like to be negative on this show, but we do need to call it as we see it. And we will say this too, that on the other side of this, as we always do, there will be a great time and great profitability, but we have to right the ship. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. Of course, our show is called Show Me the Money. You talked about these little bear market rallies, Randy and Jake. Do you think that the average investor should take advantage of these or really put any stock into these things, or should they just take them with a grain of salt. You know, that's a really good question that you ask. And it's one that, uh, quite frankly, every day we, we look at numbers, we crunch numbers, we glean data from many different sources. And, you know, we're sitting here looking at what's going on overall. Again, we have to look at things in some cases Well, in most cases, we look at things from what's the macro environment? What do things look like in the big picture? And then what do things look like in the little picture? There's always some places that are working and some places that are making money. But if you really look at it for most of this year, the only thing that's made any real money for the year has been energy. Mm -hmm. Everything else, uh, utilities made a little bit, but everything else is still underwater. But for most people, they don't really know what to think about this. Really what is what I really think because, you know, they're not into it every day. It's not that they're not smart, they are. It's just that it's not something they do every day. And the emotion sometimes gets the better of people. You know, there's this new term that we have used on here a couple of times, FOMO, that's F-O-M-O, right. that's fear of missing out. And I think that when people see these little bear market rallies, they're thinking, okay, it's bottomed, it's going up, I'm losing. And the bottom line is, you know, we're watching this and we're, we're asking ourselves the same question someday. Well, okay, has it bottomed? And, and then we go back and we say, okay, based on the data that we see and what happening, this cannot be over yet. So, you know, that's something we're doing every day. For the average investor, it's a tough call. For us, it's a tough call. And for everybody in the industry, it's a tough call. But it's something we're vigilantly on every day. I think to answer your question a little bit more too, Jeff, you're playing with fire trying to catch these runs up. What I mean by that is if you look at the things that are up the most over the last 45 to 60 days since the bottom a lot of them are the lowest quality companies. Why are they up the most? Because they're down 90%. Mm-hmm. So to go up 100%, right, is a very small move in the grand scheme of things, with the exception of Apple. So Apple is held in pretty well. But other than Apple, it's pretty much the lower the quality, the better it's been. And when that starts to happen, in fact, even some of the meme stocks, as they like to call them, so the GameStop, AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, Carvana, some of these stocks that have been kind of lumped in together where they start running together, where retail investors pile in and make a move 20 and 30% in a day, those are kind of back on the rise for the first time really since May or June of last year. So it tells you the kind of environment we're in. It's overdone. And we will soon be coming back to earth here. And I think that trying to catch these rallies can be very dangerous, especially for a layman or somebody who is not really paying attention each day. Even for people who are paying attention each day, you know, um, if you turn on any news channel out there about finance, uh, you're going to hear 
60 different opinions right. on both sides of the argument. Mm-hmm. And so nobody really knows how far it can go. But here's what I will say, and, and this, this part is definitive. We are in worse shape now than we were six months ago, mm-hmm. than we were two months ago. And, you know, that has not changed. That's one of the things you have to ask yourself. Has the grand scheme of things, or what we say, the thesis, has it changed? Has anything changed, really? And the answer is no. If anything, it's gotten worse. And so uh, you have to grit your teeth a little bit during some of these, you know, you're getting these rallies, but you got to be careful, you know, because they can really come back to bite you. In your 20-plus years experience at Floyd Financial Group, you've seen bear markets. Is this bear market somehow different from the others? And do you expect the length of time to come out of this to be different? You know, that's the age-old question or, the, or you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a saying out there that the worst thing that people can think is, this time it's different. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so while, you know, yes, the dynamics and the numbers are certainly different than they, than they were before, emotion plays a large part in this. There's just some different dynamics. But again, at the end of the day, it comes down to human beings and how they react to things, right? Right. So as we look around, we see productivity is down. We see that people doing this thing called the great resignation, they call it, you know, is people are still doing that, leaving their jobs. I'm, I'm curious as to how they're living. I, yeah. I don't know quite how they do that. I've always wondered but, that, Randy. I mean, <laughs> I've got to resign because I don't want to go to work, but how am I going to buy food or have a roof over my head? Is exactly. there some secret that I don't know or you don't know or Jake doesn't know? I don't know, buddy. There must be a money tree somewhere. There must be. I, I don't have one. I don't one. know about. But the long and the short of it is we have productivity numbers are down. We have unemployment and new claims were slightly up. We created in June twice the number of jobs that we thought we would. Mm-hmm. You know, but and, labor force participation is down. Yeah, mm-hmm. and labor force participation is down. I mean, that just does not bode well. <laughs> for the economy right. any way that you slice it. So, you know, we still just feel that we're going to have to have a recession. We're going to have to have, and, and they're already talking about it. They weren't before, but companies are talking about laying people off now, right? Especially right. the tech companies that really boosted their uh, employee levels and things during the pandemic and trying to catch up with all that. You know, gaming companies have had a really hard way to go here recently and their stocks are down. You know, NVIDIA has proved that and some other ones that are out there. But you know, there's still a long ways to go on this. I don't want people to be, you know, completely disheartened and downtrodden. This is just part of a cycle again that we must get through. Just need a plan. That's exactly right. They need a plan. For those people who open up their 401k statements and they're shocked, obviously they do not have a plan. What do you tell those people? That this too shall pass or get in here, get a plan? I mean, what is the answer when people are shocked when they open up those statements and find out that they have lost a great deal of money? So there's no one answer to all that. So what it amounts to, Jeff, is depending on their age, you know, if they're 50 to maybe 55 and they're still working and they're, you know, knee deep in their career, you know, we're going to say, okay, you might want to take a few moves to mitigate a little risk in what you have, but definitely keep funding your 401k, keep funding your IRAs, keep funding at least up to the match of what they're going to give you at your 401k, 403b or 457 plan. Be sure and get that done. And then we can give them a little guidance, you know, on maybe how to restructure their portfolio a little bit right now, because a lot of folks are really widely diversified. And right now, I will tell you, there's some diversification measures that people should not be involved in right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we got a lot of problems here, but look overseas at the problems and the headwinds that they have over there. It's crazy. So, you know, if you're invested internationally, which a lot of people are, we say, hey, you know, you might want to take a good hard look at that. Now, there'll be a time when maybe it'll be a good time to go back. 
lack international, but we don't think that now is it. A lot of people, too, are set up in these target date retirement plans that we don't think are working the way they should right now as well, and we can prove that by looking at numbers. So again, if you're 50, 55, and you're in the middle of your career, you probably just need to keep funding, keep your head down, and we can help guide you through this process. If you're 55 and older and you're thinking of retiring in the next three, five, seven years, we need to probably really, really be looking at developing a comprehensive plan, get on a track, and let's make sure we're running the laps of that track exactly mm -hmm. the way we want to until we get to that retirement date. And all along the way, once we have the plan in place, we will be tweaking and changing, uh, helping people to manipulate that into their favor is really what we want to do. So I'm, I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, but there is just no one blanket answer. <laughs> we're talking with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group about the economy and where we're headed right now and the fact that really I think the answer here is to have a plan. All you've got to do to get a plan is to call 417-889-7233 and request it. No cost, no obligation for your complimentary financial plan with Randy and Jake. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break here and Show Me the Money. When we come back, gentlemen, we're going to be talking about whether or not your portfolio is at risk in this market and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about, is my portfolio at risk in this current market? And Randy, that is a big question. Is your portfolio at risk in this market? Well, we're going to dive into that and more, and I guess it depends to a certain extent. Those nearing and in retirement, I think they need to be concerned with something we've talked about before in this show, and it's called sequence of return risk. And I've got it all written down here. The story of Mr. Brown and Mr. Green. You know, Mr. Brown and Mr. Green is a really interesting story. We talk about it all the time in here. And, of course, I know, Jeff, that it doesn't apply to you because oh, no. you can control the market. I can the control the market, market. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we would like for you to go ahead and write the ship for here this next okay. week so we can get on with things. <laughs> Duly noted. It's on my list of things to do. <laughs> okay, good. Give it top priority, would yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm moving it up to the top right now. So here's the thing, you know. You hear all kinds of stories, and I've been doing this a long time, and the old story is, and this is probably true for people between the ages of 20 and 50, you just need to invest and keep investing. Now, don't be crazy. You know, you, you right. need to kind of watch what's going on with companies and things because, you know, today we do business at the speed of light, literally. You know, we are so fast the way things happen. Companies that are viable today may not be viable tomorrow. Even the company that you work for today may not be viable tomorrow that's a fact you know it's it's just so fast that the way things go if you are uh investing in an index you know through maybe an index fund at work or something like that and you're 20 to 50 here's what i would tell people keep funding that up to the level that your company will match that's good you're going to have some ups and downs but once you reach 50 it's time to start thinking about okay yes i know that over time as i invest my money and I dollar cost average in, it works out and I'm going to be okay. But again, when we get close to retirement age, we're thinking about pulling that trigger, especially the last five years, that retirement red zone uh, that we get into, we really need to be thinking about how am I invested? How am I going to mitigate loss through this bear market that again, we do not believe that we're done with because let's face it, if we don't lose the money, 
we don't have to make it back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're looking today at how can we put portfolio risk mitigation processes in place to ensure that when people get ready to pull the trigger, even with this next bounce, this bounce is going to be really good for them and they're going to be way ahead of the curve. That's what we're looking to do for people right now today. So protection and positioning for growth and really strong growth in the future is what we're looking for for people that are getting near retirement. So is there risk? Yes, there is. Is there always risk? Yes, there is. Is it more right now than normal? I would say substantially more now than normal, Jeff, for sure. I've heard that some people just jumped into cash because they just can't take the risk. That may not be the answer for everyone. What are some of the strategies to protect your retirement savings against market risk? Let's talk about diversification, stocks, bonds. I mean, real estate, precious metals. Is that a way to go? So yeah, Jeff, I mean, diversification can be a really good way to go. Now, here's the thing that I would say, if we were to look back over our shoulder here for the last, well, let's let's talk about the last seven or eight months here since January, we look at all the different asset classes that are out there and there's really only one clear winner that really made any money and that is energy. Mm -hmm. That's it. If you look at the rest of it, it's all been negative and it's still negative since the first of the year. Now, some have bounced back. Some have started to bounce back through this little bear market rally, we're going to call it. But they're still not whole. Utilities have made a little bit of money, but everything like what would normally be considered uh, the thing to be in, you know, consumer staples and healthcare, they're all underwater too, just like the broad base S&P 500 and, of course, the NASDAQ 100 is the same way. Those things are all down. So have we raised cash in our portfolios? We absolutely have. We have quite a lot of cash in our portfolios right now. And the reason we do, as this was ticking down, we've just removed a little bit of money on these little upticks through these little bear market rallies. We've raised a little bit of money, raised a little bit of money. So now we have quite a bit of money in cash. We have uh, some select stocks and a couple of ETFs that we own that are going to pay dividends. They're going to give us a fairly protected stance during this remaining downturn that we have. But, you know, there's all kinds of tools to use from precious metals like you talked about. Bonds are normally something that would be used out there. We're not using a lot of bonds right now. Of course, there's the broad-based stock market. You know, there's small cap, mid cap, large cap, mega cap stocks. There's the technology sector, all these different things. There's no good or bad tools. There's just good and bad time to use those tools. And then we also have some insurance products. There are certain annuities, and I say certain, very few annuity contracts that we will use to help mitigate risk and still give people upside. The problem with many of the annuity contracts that are out there is number one, they cost too much to own. Number two, they cap your earnings. There are several that can give you downside protection, but there are some that give you limited downside protection. And when we look at building portfolios to mitigate risk and give people gain for the long haul, we got to be really careful what we use and not just focus on any one of those attributes, if you will, the downside risk management, the upside potential, and that sort of thing. We got to look at all those things, pull them all together into a comprehensive portfolio that is also malleable and and changeable so Mm -hmm. that we can adjust in the future. You were talking about annuities there, Randy, and there are maybe hundreds, if not thousands of different annuities, but there are only several that you use. Why do you think the annuity market gets such a a, a bad name sometimes? Frankly, I think it's a lot of it is the people selling them, Um, Mm -hmm. not explaining things, not going over surrender schedules, overselling how much money people might make, um, especially in a lot of these, like Randy was talking about, where, you know, if you have a floor of 0% and a cap of 3%, it doesn't take a genius to understand you're not going to make 8% per year. Right. So 
I think that there's just a lot of under disclosure, I think. You know, we really want to when we when we talk to clients about any type of investment, what we really want to do is tell you the good, the bad and the ugly and say, "Hey, here's the reasons why you would want to do this. Here's the reasons why you would not want to do this." And then we can have a, a solid discussion about these things and we don't try to sell anything here. We simply try to make a plan that works and one that our clients can understand and get on board with. So it's not necessarily the annuities themselves. It's the people selling the annuities sometimes that give them the, uh, the sort of a bad rap, if you will. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. Our topic in this segment is your portfolio at risk in this market. Speaking of risk, gentlemen, how do you help people assess their portfolio risk and when they should retire? Yeah, so... When people come in to sit down with us, Jeff, one of the first things, and, and for people that have listened to this show over the years, they will know that number one thing we do is we sit down and we do what's called discovery, and that is we kind of figure out where people are, what's important to them, what they're trying to accomplish, see what they've uh, saved, see what they've done with maybe their estate plan and all that sort of thing. And so, you know, when we sit down and we start looking at that and we get a handle on what people are trying to accomplish and what's important to them, we go next to see what they've saved and and look at their setup that they have. You know, most people, and I remember this, you know, in corporate America, if you're out working and you're funding your 401k, number one, the 401k options are what? Very limited. Right. I mean, most of these plans are going to have 30, 40 different positions. You know, there's 29,000 mutual funds alone, not counting ETFs, individual stocks, and all the other things that a person and bonds that people can invest in. But most of those have 20 or five or 30 different setups that people can invest in. And so they put their money in there and they just let it ride. And sometimes they don't change it for years. And it's no fault of theirs. It's just that we don't do a very good job of educating people about their money and their investments. And so one of the things that we want to do when we come in and we sit down with people, we show them what they have and tell them why we would do something maybe different. And some of the stuff we may do the same, but there may be some additions that we'll do, or sometimes we completely gut the whole thing. It just depends on what is happening at the time. But we want to educate people and say, hey, here's why this works this way. And you know what ends up happening? Many, many times people come out of that meeting and they say, you know, for the first time, I feel like I understand more about how money works and how investing works. And I actually understand what I own and how the current economic environment is affecting those things. And boy, if we can do that, that is a win for us. We want people to know and understand. We want to be full disclosure. And once they get connected to their money, really connected to it, Mm -hmm. it's empowering for them and they feel much, much better. So really the whole key here is being very transparent and really super explaining everything to people, helping them understand their money. When they understand their money, it really just sort of takes the fear out of things, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. What's the old saying about trying to teach pigs to fly? (laughs) I don't know about the teaching the pigs to fly, but I've not heard that one, Randy. So what I'm saying is, is this is is one guy said one time, he said, teach people what they want to know. Right. You know, don't try to teach them something else exactly. or don't leave them in the don't leave them in the dark. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing. I think for the most part, people are kind of left financially in the dark because most times companies and advisors really don't want to sit down and take the time to explain to them how their investments work and why they work and what env- environments they may not work and why. I think a lot of it too, Jeff, is like you said, if they understand what's going on, they understand our philosophy and, and the plan then they'll understand what's going to happen when certain types of markets come along. And so they're not surprised all the time 
on what the investments are doing, you know? And so when we have these volatile times, they know that we're going to use this volatility to overall elevate their position and um, that volatility doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing and we can use it to our advantage. And if they know that, then it ta- like you said, it takes some of the fear out of it. Right. And we know that money can be sort of a scary thing. I remember that story, uh, Randy, you telling about the uh, lady that you were visiting with doing a little bit of discovery. And she said, now I guess it's time to get down to the uh, scary money stuff. But I'm Absolutely. sure I'm sure that when she left, uh, the money really wasn't as scary to her, was it? Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and that was really and, you know, that's been a long time ago now, Jeff. I don't right. know how long that's been. That's probably been. Man, it may have been 15 years ago right. now that that happened. But that was really an epiphany for me that that's how people sometimes feel or yeah. actually most times feel about their money, especially going into retirement where they've always worked and gotten a paycheck. And now all of a sudden they're going to go, okay, Randy, you know I need a paycheck. Can I count on you to get me one, right? <laughs> well, I think people are scared because, you know, if you make the wrong move, it can be disastrous. But of course, you're there at Floyd Financial Group to make sure that people do not misstep. If you're concerned about market volatility and you are looking to avoid running out of money in retirement, simply call Floyd Financial Group for a no-cost, no-obligation risk assessment meeting. It is part of the financial plan that we're offering. No cost, no obligation for the listeners to this program. That's right. Not going to cost you a thin dime. And the other thing is that there is no judgment whatsoever. Floyd Financial Group, Randy and Jake, they're just good people wanting to help you get ahead in retirement. To get your plan, 417-889-7233. Call now and reserve a spot on the calendar at 417-889-7233. You can also find out more about the firm online and request your plan there at floydfinancialgroup.com it's floydfinancialgroup.com you're listening to show me the money with randy and jake my name's jeff shade thanks so much for joining us on this fine saturday we're going to take a quick break be right back with more of our show here on 104.1 fm ksgf where springfield comes to talk back with your financial catch of the day and it's a big one here's more show me the money radio with your host randy floyd Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Randy and Jake. This is Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about Social Security, but specifically five things to know about Social Security spousal benefits. And Randy, Jake, this is really an important part of the program. And I want people to listen up to this because Social Security is really the bedrock of most people's financial income in retirement. First off, before we get to the spousal benefits, I want to talk about the COLA, the cost of living adjustment. I read last night it could be as much as 10%, maybe more. Have you heard that? And can people expect 10%? What's that going to do to the Social Security system and to the economy? You know, I don't personally think it's going to hit 10. I could be wrong, but I would say that somewhere between 7 and 9 is definitely on the table. And you're right, Jeff, that's something that uh, they're not going to take away whenever uh, inflation comes back down. So that's just seven to nine percent added stress on a broken mechanism that is Social Security. That's right. And what that's going to do is that's going to add about another, are you ready for this? $10.6 billion a month to the budget. Wow. A month. Yeah. Hmm. That's more than Elon Musk could probably handle, $10.6 billion. Are you kidding me? So anyway, expect somewhere, as Jake said, 7 8 9%. It could be 10%, but we'll have to wait and see. Normally, we don't find out exactly what the cold is going to be till when. Last part of December, something like that? I think it might be a little sooner. You know, I don't yeah. really know the exact date, but somewhere right through there, yeah. 
And uh, the cola just tries to keep up with the CPI. And uh, again, it you know, inflation has been, they've reported 9.2%, but in reality, it's been a lot more than that. So let's talk about the Social Security spousal benefits. We all know that we get Social Security. Most people do if they have worked, uh, what is it, something like 40 quarters in their life. But a lot of people don't realize that you can receive up to half of your spousal's benefit, or you could receive it all. Is that correct? That is correct. So what it amounts to is even if you've never worked as a spouse outside the home, you've raised your family and stayed home and all that sort of thing, you can claim benefits for Social Security on your spouse's benefit. Now, here's another part of that that really doesn't get talked about very much here. If you've got somebody at home that has never, uh, hasn't satisfied the 40 quarters, they don't get Medicare Part A either. Right, right. But you can get that also on your spouse's you know, benefit for your behalf. You can get it through them. So that's a really important thing to know. Sometimes we have people that have government jobs or school teachers and things like that that don't have that. And it's a problem. They are now roped into staying on maybe the Missouri teacher's health insurance, uh, which costs them a lot of money. If they leave, they have to pay for Medicare Part A, which is like, I haven't looked at the number recently. It's around $450 a month in addition to the one seventy ten that you would currently pay for Part B. But here's the thing to know about the Social Security benefit, and this is really important. People don't realize, you know, that even if you've never worked, like we talked about already, that you can claim up to 50% on your spouse. Now, what's important to know is that's if you wait till full retirement age, you can get up to 50%. So the thing to think about is this. So for most people, retirement age today is going to be somewhere between 66 and 6 months and 67 for most people. There's not many people that are going to be down as low as as 66. So know that, that if you go to full retirement age and your spouse goes to a full retirement age or what would have been their full retirement age, they would be entitled to 50% of what you're going to collect. Now, if both of you are going to start taking Social Security at 62, a couple of things happen. Number one, the primary person that files is going to get a reduction in benefit, but also the person that files on them, if they file at age 62, they're going to get a reduction in benefit from that 50% to down to around 35% of what that person gets. So when we really start looking at both people filing early, it's going to be a benefit reduction of pretty big consequence for both sides. Now, again, that doesn't mean people can't do it. That doesn't mean it's not the right thing for people to do. It depends on what other pensions and retirement assets that they have in place. But it is something that people really need to go in with their eyes wide open. And, you know, one of the things we talk about here all the time is we can show people how to do the best job of maximizing their Social Security, not only from a monetary and a financial standpoint, but also from the human side, Jeff, because we all have things going on. And it may be that people have health issues, that they need to go ahead and retire now, or it may just be that their situation is maybe their spouse is a lot older than them in some cases, and they may want to go ahead and retire with them early. So Randy, if both spouses have worked and the spouse who makes the lesser money files at age 62, and let's say it's $700, but if they filed on half of the other spouse's benefit, it would be $1,500. Can they do that? Well, in that case, let's just talk about how the math would work. So let's say that the person that, that uh, retired, the spouse that's making fifteen, going to make $1,500 from Social Security, since the other spouse that's filing is 62, they don't get the full 50%. So 50% of 1500 would be 750 Right. But 
since they filed at 62, they're only going to get about 35% of that 1500, which is not going to be more than the 700 they're currently getting. So they would be better off to file on their own number if they're going to go ahead and file that way because it will be a slightly larger number for them. And this is one of the things too, Jeff, that we talk a lot about when people come in to see us is really kind of kick the can around as the best way to file Social Security. And it, it's not only a financial decision, it is also an emotional decision, a lifestyle decision. You know, would you rather have more money now versus later kind right. of a decision? It's not just, you know, what makes the most sense financially? Well, wait till 70 and live to be 110 makes the most sense. But, mm-hmm. you know, life doesn't always fit into a nice, neat little box like that. Yeah. And we have a calculator that we use that we can go out and we can say, okay, so here we are. We're thinking about, you know, you're going to retire in 14 months. Man, I can plug in right to the date and it'll give us an estimate of what that percentage of the spouse's benefit is going to be versus theirs. So it's something that we can absolutely walk in with great certainty. And that is the reason why running this Social Security calculator is so, so very important because there's so many different ways that you can take Social Security and you folks have the ability to tell people how the best way is to take it for their individual situation. Let's talk about spousal survivor benefits. Let's say for the sake of argument that one spouse is getting $2,500 a month in Social Security benefits. The other spouse is only getting $750 a month in Social Security benefits, but the $2,500 spouse passes away. Can the survivor file on the deceased person's social security and get all of their social security or is is it a reduced amount no actually what will end up happening and i don't want to confuse this issue there's some math that goes on behind the scenes and it doesn't work exactly this way but suffice it to say that the surviving spouse will get the 2500 and will lose that 750 that was coming in their name all right, so they're going to get twenty five hundred, but they're going to lose the seven fifty. So uh, spousal benefits a very very important thing for some people to consider. You can't claim spousal benefits until your spouse starts collecting Social Security. Is that true or false? Yeah, so it is true. In fact, I had a case recently that was exactly this way. We had a couple where the what I would call the the primary breadwinner at this point was younger than the spouse, and the spouse was thinking of going ahead and retiring and wanted to know if she could file on her husband's benefit, even though he's still working and not retired. And of course, the answer to that is no. For you to file against your spouse, they must be retired at this point and collecting Social Security before you can do that. So just know that if you got a spouse that you want to collect on, not going to be able to unless they have filed. Now, one thing we probably need to throw out here at this point is if you were previously married and you're not married now mm-hmm. and you have come to that age of 62 or greater and you want to file on your previous marriage, if you were married 10 years or more and you have not married, you can file on your previous spouse's benefit to see what that looks like. So that's a very important thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that if you were married at least 10 years, you're not remarried, you can claim benefits on your former spouse. We're talking about spousal benefits, Social Security spousal benefits with Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group. You know, spousal benefits can be a huge financial help in retirement, even if you never worked or if you did work but weren't a high income earner. So it pays to read up on how spousal benefits work so you can make the most out of them. And when you're ready to file, you'll have all the information. And of course, here at Floyd Financial Group, they do have a Social Security optimization program that can help you. It is all part of the financial plan. And by the way, if you do not have a financial plan, 
plan yet, or maybe you've got a financial plan from somewhere else, you want to get a comparison with that, maybe you want a second opinion with that. Call Randy Jacob Floyd Financial Group's not going to cost you a dime. No cost, no obligation. 417-889-7233 is the number to call. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary retirement plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Glad you could join us this fine Saturday morning. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd. You're listening to Randy and Jake on Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about estate planning. I said we're going to do basics, but we make it a little (laughs) deeper than basics here. Yeah, and I've always heard where there's a will, there's a way. But as we were talking during the break, Randy and Jake, where there's a will, there is probably probate. Can you explain that? Yeah, for sure. You know, the thing to know is if you are using your will, most likely you're in front of a probate judge (laughs) (laughs) or going through that proceeding. And here's the thing about probate. I mean, probate, in the end, people generally get their just desserts. However, the cost of probate has to come into play, and that's somewhere between 2 and probably 7% of an estate, which is a pretty good owie in some cases. And generally, you spend more money doing probate than you would building an estate plan because some people look at it as a cost rather than a benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part of it is is time. In the state of Missouri here, about eight months is the best you can do to get through probate. And while everything's going through probate, guess what? All the assets are frozen. Just not a good thing. Most people think that all they need is a will. So how do you know when just a simple will will do or you need more? Yeah, so everybody's situation is different, and the biggest thing I would say is, uh, number one, what are your goals for your stuff when you're no longer here? And depending on sometimes how much stuff you have, the estate plan can get a little bit more complex. But generally speaking, to avoid probate, there's several ways to do that. In the state of Missouri, there's this thing called a beneficiary deed that you can put on your property, which basically just says, hey, I own this property all the days of my life, and when I draw my last last breath, it passes to the people named on that deed, which are my beneficiaries. Now, there's a concept here in uh, Missouri called tenants by the entirety. Mm -hmm. So tenants by the entirety just basically says this, that Jeff, you and your spouse, if you live here in Missouri, both own 100% of your home. So that being the case, that would actually be 200%, right? So we know that's not the case, but that's how they look at it. So if you're going to sell a property and you're married, both husband and wife have to sign off on it. So let's say that I have three kids and I pass my house to my three kids through a beneficiary deed. Now my three kids own a third of that house, but guess who else does? Their spouses. Mm -hmm. So here we are, now we have not only three people that inherited, we have six. Right. (laughs) And trying to get people to agree on selling and a selling price and what to do and how to dispose of property can be problematic. So one of the things that uh, is sometimes better in that situation is to have a trust that spells out exactly what's supposed to happen upon death. So that's one common problem uh, with having just a beneficiary deed. 
uh, you have a whole lot of parties involved. So if you go to the bank, you can put a POD, that's a pay on death on your bank accounts and right. your CDs, and your money markets, that sort of thing. If you have a brokerage account, you can put what's called a TOD, a transfer on death. Same way with vehicles and things. You can put a transfer on death. And that works just fine as long as people don't die out of order. So the bank account POD doesn't usually give us multiple levels of beneficiaries. You don't get it on, on the TOD for your car. You can generally put a TOD on your brokerage accounts that will go more than one level deep. And then, of course, if you have IRAs and insurance policies, they always have beneficiary arrangements that help you to avoid probate. But again, the thing that we have to look at, and this is the thing that, that a good estate plan takes into account, what happens if things don't go the way we think they should. And what I mean by that is the parents don't die first. We have a child that predeceases. We have grandchildren that predecease. How does that all play out? So by having a comprehensive estate plan in place that addresses, and, and it sounds horrible, I know, all of this horrible stuff that can happen to people that we hope never does, we want to make sure we have a plan in place. And generally, a trust document helps us to have that plan in place and see us through all the contingencies. So if you have a modest estate, again, in summary, the will's a good thing to have. You want a POD, pay on death at the bank. You want a TOD. Of course, we talked about that with the investments. And then maybe a durable power of attorney for medical needs, and that may suit your needs. But a trust can really do so much more. Now, I've heard of this revocable living trust and an irrevocable living trust. What is the difference, and when do I need one of those? So basically the difference between the revocable living trust and the irrevocable trust, the revocable living trust helps us stay out of probate. And generally when we do a trust, we get a complete set of ancillary documents that go along with that. So what's an ancillary document? We have a trust document itself that talks about how we want things to go and who gets what. We get powers of attorney for health care. We get powers of attorney for uh, property. What's called the durable power of attorney generally is how they, how they word that. The durable part means it survives your incapacity and helps you through those times when you can't help yourself and you're incapable of doing so. Also, a health care directive generally comes along with that. That's like a living will that says, hey, I want to be kept alive. I don't want to be kept alive. If I'm terminal, uh, you know, if I'm a vegetable, please don't keep me alive, that sort of thing. Also, you'll get a new deed that comes along for your property or deeds, whatever the case may be, uh, naming the trust as the owner, which gives the trust then power over that. You assign a trustee that runs things when you're gone. We always put in backup trustees to, uh, we call them successor trustees, to go you know, in place of if somebody dies out of order, like I talked about earlier, we always have successors in place. Uh, you also get a will attached to that trust called a pour-over will, which is mm -hmm. basically called just a just-in-case will that basically says, hey, judge, if we do miss something and we don't get it entitled in the name of the trust, hey, put it back in and distribute it according to the terms of the trust. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not an attorney and I'm not practicing law without a license. We have an attorney in the building that does all this for us. We We've just been doing this for so many years, we know the basics of how all this runs together, right? So anyway, that's the revocable living trust. The irrevocable trust does everything the same way, except that what it does is it can help us with asset protection. And when I say asset protection, that has a couple of different things we need to talk about. Number one, you can't put assets into an irrevocable trust in fraud of creditors. In other words, creditors that you currently have that you owe on and things like that, if you put property in there, you still owe it. In the future, if you have a business or something and you have an irrevocable trust that owns that, you pretty much become sue-proof in that arena. And then number two, 
The thing that it can do is help you with defraying and helping you get some benefits for the cost of long-term care. And then number three, if you want to do generation skipping and do some tax planning, the irrevocable trust can come into play in that arena as well. And that's a whole other discussion. We're talking with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group about estate planning and is your estate plan airtight. Randy and Jake, I know that you have been doing estate plans for a lot of years there at Floyd Financial Group. And of course, you have the help of Leisha Siri there in the office and soon to be Elizabeth Floyd, too, who can help with that sort of thing. What are some of the very common mistakes that you see people make that could have been avoided? You know, just actually just not doing any planning is probably probably one of the, one of the biggest ones because, you know, life happens. You know, we, we grow up, we, we get married, we raise our kids. And, you know, before we know it, we're 60, we're 65, we're 70, and we've meant to do it. Mm-hmm. We just never did, right? And so that's probably one of the biggest things. But many times you'll see things like uh, not having a beneficiary on right. an account. Seems pretty straightforward, but here's the thing. Monies get moved around. Things happen. Beneficiaries get changed. You know, we, we have a regular review of this sort of thing, and we're always looking to be sure because we never know when that day comes when somebody's going to call and say, hey, mom has passed away, dad's passed away, and we want to make sure that we review that from time to time. You know, maybe there's a wrong name. Sometimes it's uh, it gets complex, like there's a junior or the third after a name that gets left off. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have to go do an AKA, an affidavit that says, hey, this person was also known as. So there's all sorts of little things we need to look at. Of course, if we get a wrong date of birth, if we got something that doesn't match a driver's license or a social security number or, you know, a birth certificate, something like that, those can be little things that that happen. But generally speaking, we just tell people we need to just review from time to time that all these beneficiaries are done right. And the thing is, here at Floyd Financial Group, we always know what's been done internally here. But if we have clients that have monies elsewhere, like in bank accounts or maybe their 401ks and things of that nature, we don't really know unless we just take time to sit down and say, hey, you guys need to really look and make sure that those beneficiary designations are done. Can you have a retirement plan without an estate plan? What I mean is how important is it and is it a part of every retirement plan that you do? You know, I think some form of estate plan is, but I will say that a lot of that depends on the person. It depends on what's important to each client. That's why no two plans that we do are really the same. We may use some of the same tools, but we're really, each person is unique, you know? It doesn't make sense for, you know, 65-year-old couple with no kids to have the same plan as 45-year-old couple with three kids, right? Because mm-hmm. everything's just different. Everybody, everybody has a different view on how they want inheritance to go. You know, some people are, are I, I joke about this in the meeting sometimes, there's a spectrum. There's, uh, I want my last check to bounce. Yeah, I've heard that. We say that's the scale, on a scale of one to 10, that's a one as far as importance of inheritance, <laughs> or a 10, which is I shop yeah. at Goodwill and eat ramen right. so that I can pass on as much money to my kids as possible. Now, most people don't fit either one of those two, but they're somewhere on the spectrum in between. And so I'd say on average, most people want to be able to use their money and then pass what's left, you know, as an inheritance. They're going to put themselves first and their needs first. But it is important to for most people to leave at least some inheritance. And so, yes, I would say 98 percent of the time there's some form of a of an estate plan that really belongs with a retirement plan. Yeah, I'm one of those guys, you know, Jake gets nothing. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've known Jake for a while, and I think uh, Jake really has earned everything that he's got. So, Jake, I think you know what's ahead of you there. We're talking with Rand- right. yeah, we're talking with Andy and Jake here, Flight Financial Group, about estate planning. It is a very important part of any retirement plan. If you're concerned about your retirement longevity or your legacy and estate plan, simply call Floyd Financial Group for a no-cost, no-obligation meeting, which does include an estate plan. It's really a retirement roadmap, a way for you to get to and through retirement where you've got all the boxes checked, you know, the I's dotted and the T's crossed. To get yours, not going to cost you anything at all. As we say, no cost, no obligation. Most importantly, there is no judgment whatsoever. Randy and Jake will meet you where you are. 417-889-7233 is the number to call. 417-889-7233. Or you can go to the website and request your plan there at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Randy and Jake, out of time for this week. Thank you for your time. Most of all, I want to thank everybody for joining us on this fine Saturday morning each and every week. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a great weekend. And this great part of the country that we live in, we'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.